The scripture reading is from Luke 8. See if I get it right. 8 verses 1 through 15. It's found on page 953 of the Bibles that are on the chairs nearby. Luke chapter 8, 1 through 15. This is God's word. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rock. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. God of grace, we come into this uh, space this evening from all kinds of different places, and we see clearly that this is a teaching about hearing. And we are hearing you from all different kinds of places, and some of us have blockages to hearing you today that are substantial, whether it be feeling like you have a lot to answer to because of the, the mess that has been thrown at us, maybe from our childhood on, or maybe just in the last week. And others of us, um, maybe just we are bored, and we have been lulled to sleep by things that we have put in our life, or by comforts, or by what we've been able to afford. And we need, we're not hearing just because we're hearing sort of dull, monotone nothingness. And we're hoping maybe that you pierce through that tonight with your voice, that something clear would come through and and jilt us out of it. And others of us may become because joy has arrived like never before through events, through answers to prayer. In some way, you've never been more real. So whether we're in that place or whether we wish we could be there, 
Would you speak to us in this time with the kind of grace that the Bible talks about where you know how broken and messed up we are. We don't want to admit it. But you know, and yet your response is to move towards us like no one else has and to meet us with love and mercy right where we're at. Would you do that now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The topic, this is not only week two in this new space, but it's also week two of Jesus Tweets. So uh, Twitter, you might, many of you, not only have you given up on Facebook, but you never even started with Twitter. But there's a few of you who love Twitter and you're very you know, active. It's a, it's a micro blog, kind of online thing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're probably better off. Um, and, and some of you are doing Twitter and you're, you know, you're, you're fully engaged in it. Others of you, maybe you're like me and you, you kind of try it, but you're not quite sure if it's ever going to stick and you don't quite get it completely. Um, I'm convinced that Jesus would be on Twitter tweeting because of how he teaches. Twitter is, is about condensing down to 140 characters and Jesus is always condensing the grandest possible, most philosophically gigantic ideas about the universe and the world and what God is up to into things like like seeds being scattered and giving four quick bullet points of, of the different places those seeds might fall. I mean, it's stunning how brief and, and short this teaching is. Um, and, and I want to focus today on choking, on, on the aspect of this parable that talks about choking. And so, um, of course, I thought I'd go to sports. I don't always go to sports, but there's, this one ends with basketball, which is kind of one of my things. So here's three sports choking moments um, in history. Uh, you know, in sports, the word choking kind of has a connotation of you get all the way, you, know, you do everything right, but then that last little thing you got to do, you miss, you fail, you don't come through in the end. I mean, you got all the way to this point, but then you just kind of die off right at the last moment. So you have the Brooklyn Dodgers of 1951, baseball's most famous collapse, I'm told. I'm, I'm not a big baseball guy. The Dodgers had a 13-game lead over their local arch rivals, the New York Giants, late in August. The Giants managed to pull into a tie at the end of the regular season, then captured a best-of-three playoff series on Bobby Thompson's ninth-inning three-run home run off Ralph Branca, the shot heard around the world. All right, choke. In golf, there's a famous choke artist named Greg Norman. I don't know if any golf fans out there, but he was known for um, uh, just consistently falling apart during the majors, and his most egregious choke job was in the 1996 uh, Masters when, like, the final day he had a six-stroke lead and lost it in that day by playing so terrible. And then my fav- my, my mo- the most intriguing one to me is Patrick Ewing in the 1995 playoffs when he j- basically, if he makes the shot, they go into overtime, they've got five seconds, they've got the ball, and he, and he goes up and he's four feet away with a layup and it just bounces off the rim a couple times and goes out. And here's this great superstar missing a layup, you know. And then, you know, he never wins a championship, and he's known for the rest of his career as a choke artist. So that's basketball choking. Today, we're not talking about basketball, even though I always go there whenever I can. Today, we're talking about the problem of choking and the solution to avoid choking in your life. When Jesus gives this illustration of the seeds going on different kinds of ground, he's giving basically, it's, it's, it's really an interesting thing. It's, it's, it's a very vibrant thing to enter into because you're given a grid, so to speak, and t- you're trying to find yourself in there somewhere and the different kinds of 
places where seed falls and which one, where do I find myself? It's a little bit like when you have an infant. We have a couple, um, it's very joyous today. We have some little babies here that, have, that are a part of our worship today that have um, been exciting to watch them come into this world. And, um, and so when, when you have a baby and then suddenly you have all these doctor's appointments you're bringing, to you, you're bringing them to and the doctor pulls out a chart and says, here's where your baby's like head size is compared to, you know, all the other humans in the world. And you're given this, there's this curve and there's a dot where your child is. It's like a grid. It's, it's a, it's a, a point where you look, you know, maybe it's got the height or, or something. It's got all, and you're given this sheet and you look at it and you say, okay. And the doctor will tell you whether there's anything of note there. And usually there's not, but if there was, if it was here versus here, there might be a, a kind of a diagnosis process going on about what that means. And that's a little bit like what Jesus is doing in this parable. We're sort of looking at this and going, okay, this is a chance to look and say, and maybe a little bit uncomfortable, a chance to look at it and say, where do I fit and, and, and diagnose? Am I in that sort of spiritually alive place or am I in that sort of failure to thrive place? Or maybe I'm in this, the, that third kind of place in the parable. I'm choking in some kind of a way let's just zero in on that choking what's going on with that is that um, as jesus talks about these different places that seed lands this third location is soil it's decent soil but the seed is being planted amidst thorns which we're which is thankfully it's explained to us this is a very good parable because we have an explanation and explained to us as Worries, riches, and pleasures. Worries, riches, and pleasures. What Jesus is getting at with this, um, this category, if you will, this place on the grid where you want to see if you might fall, is people who actually, really, people who spend a lot of time in church. People who believe things about Jesus, maybe grab hold of the Christian faith, maybe make even verbal statements of commitment to it. Um, but... In some way, amidst that, your heart is sharing, is, is sharing space with other commitments. And they're, like, they're growing up with that commitment and around it. And eventually, as Jesus describes, they choke. They choke out the faith that's even there. Other things, other commitments are crowding out something that you desired in some way to grab hold of. This is not everybody. We could go into each one of these soil types, but we're zeroing in late with laser focus on choking because I think it's, it's a pretty predominant issue for people who find themselves willingly sitting in church. Um, one of the illustrations that I think works really well for this is a plant that I just discovered and kind of doing some, some choking research this week, and that is this. There's a plant called the strangler fig. It starts out as just an incredibly cute little plant. It, it, it just, you know, it... It plants itself in between the crook of two branches of a tree, and it's just this cute little thing starting out there. Oh, what's that little leafy thing starting? Oh, it's cute. Can't be doing any harm. It's sending down some up. Never mind those little thread-like roots that are starting to head down, downwards towards the ground. It's so cute. But over time, what it does is it sends roots down, and they make it to the ground, and suddenly these roots are wrapping around the tree, and little by little... All of a sudden, one day, you realize that the tree is covered by the strangler fig tree, which is thriving, and the tree inside is dying. There's, in the end, the tree inside is dead, 
and the fig tree is alive. It can end up being where you can look at a picture of this and see this, this kind of maze of vines, really thick vines going up in the shape of a tree with hollow holes that you can see through because the tree's dead and long gone. That's a lot more insidious um, in terms of a concept than my silly little sports analogies of choking. It's a different kind of choking. It's a, it's a life or death kind of choke. I mean, it's, it, this is intense, what Jesus is bringing up here. To, to look at yourself, to look at your life, and to say, you know, is, is this kind of problem at work in my life? And now, why are we calling it a problem? Well, Luke is very clear as he writes this gospel. There's examples given throughout his gospel of people who have a totally different kind of life. What would be the good soil at the end of the parable who, whose vibrancy, I mean, there is undivided kind of giving their life in, in incredible ways to Jesus. You have a Gentile centurion who is so certain that Jesus can heal his servant that he sends messages to Jesus saying, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. You can say the word from there and the healing will happen. And Jesus says, there hasn't been faith like this anywhere in Israel. The Gentile centurion. We have someone like that. We have Levi, the tax collector, who leaves his shady but probably lucrative business to to give his whole life to following Jesus. We have these women mentioned right here at the beginning of this reading, if you noticed, who are basically so sold out to whatever Jesus is going to mean for their life that they've, they're even supporting Jesus' ministry and his disciples out of their own means and just following him around and, and um, forsaking the standard place that women were supposed to fit in society as they did that. In the Bible, what you see and what Luke shows us is you have people risking life and property and reputation like it's nothing, just risking it all because of the place that Jesus has found in their life. It's, see, when, when, the gospel, um, when the gospel makes its way into your life, when the penny drops about what Jesus actually offers us from God, the words of one of the songs that we sung, the la- I think it was the last song that we sung, really comes alive. Um, uh, love so amazing, so divine. I think it was two songs ago. Demands my soul, my life, my all. If you find yourself at all in the category of the planted amidst thorns, decent soil, but things growing up amidst it, shared commitment at the heart level, then that phrase you kind of stumble on. You go, eh. The person who's in this spiritual position is sort of constantly spiritually shrugging in certain areas of their lives. Eh. Eh. You run into problems in your life. You run into things that um, are really pertinent to moving from today to tomorrow. Issues come up, problems, struggles. And you find in a lot of them that, that, that faith commitment to Jesus is not quite as relevant as a lot of other solutions you have at your disposal. Jesus, death, resurrection, eh. Um, And so Luke's very clear. He gives us these snapshots, these people who are just sold out. And it really, when you know the, the, the radical, redeeming grace of God, when you know that it wins over your heart, has it won over your heart? Have you looked at it long enough that the radical, redeeming work of Jesus begins to, maybe not all at once, but maybe little by little, begins to win over your whole heart? 
Or is it still kind of being pushed out, being kind of crowded out by how, how big of a priority work is? How big of a priority um, um, pleasure is? Um, or getting, getting love in relationships, tangible love. And so there's a way in which you've sort of, you sort of have given yourself lots of license maybe in the bedroom, but just because there's this hold on your heart of, of, of not being completely, entirely sure that God's love is enough to listen and, and to obey. Um, or maybe just money. Money has a kind of strangler fig hold over your heart, and, and it, it just seems like over and over again, eh, can't quite take the step financially, any step financially maybe, to actually... Show the place that Jesus wants in my heart. Okay, so the problem of choking, and that can get depressing if you just stay there. So let's go to the solution, how to avoid choking, how to avoid choking. In a lot of ways, we have to um, do an aside, a very brief aside, and look at the word, a word that's very important in this parable, and it's the word good. All comes down to good in the end. The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. I mean, other than the word, the word seed and soil and hearing, the word good is one of the, the most prominent words in this, this whole exchange, good. If you trace out what the Bible's doing with the word good, you can really go all the way back to creation. Genesis chapter 1, and what is said about all the things that were made. At each step, something is made, and it said, and God saw that it was good. You can, you can talk out loud. It's not, it doesn't have to be purely a monologue up here. Um, and then, do, does anybody know what it says when we get, get to the point where human beings are made? God saw them, and they were very good. Oh, very good. That's a lot like what Jesus does here when he uses two words for good. In fact, it's the same word um, connected to Genesis chapter 1 when he says those with a noble and good heart. It's like good, good. It's two, two words that mean exactly the same thing. Without defect, good. Um, but here's an interesting thing. When you go to Luke chapter 18 and Jesus is in an exchange with somebody who says, good teacher, and he asks a question, but Jesus stops him um, before answering anything. And he says, maybe you know this as well. This is kind of a famous t- uh, place in the Bible. He says, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And, and why can he say that except, except what has happened in between Genesis chapter 1 and when he's on earth talking to people and teaching them? And that's Genesis chapter 3, the fall. In fact, this gives us a whole, it gives Christians a whole lack of naivete about the world and how good it is because we know that when Genesis 3 came along with the fall, everything became defected. Very quickly, everything became defected. And so that even not only is my, the soil of my heart defected, creating messes for myself and getting myself in trouble, but, but other people in my life have defective hearts and soil, so they're creating problems for me. And not only that, but not only is uh, the soil of my heart corrupted and the soil of other people's hearts corrupted, but the soil of soil is even defective. What do I mean by that? In Genesis 3.18, God speaks out the curse that is now at play because of the fall. 
And he, and he looks at the ground. He looks at the soil and says, cursed are you. And it's the first time we hear any word about thorns. I won't find it quick enough. It's the first time where we hear about thorns in soil. And that's all kind of brought up to the surface when Jesus talks about soil, planted in soil with thorns. Um, so this word good has a whole kind of trajectory to it. And if you follow that trajectory in the Bible of the word good, then here's the depressing end point. No, when you listen to, when you know all that, then when you, instead of looking at this parable and going, hmm, okay, uh, my brother-in-law, he's the, the rocky thing, and, and my wife is this, and my so-and-so is that, and my dad is this. It kind of, and I feel like I'm kind of the good soil, but you know, instead of this slotting everyone in and hoping maybe some of us are a little bit in that last category, if you know that trajectory where it ends with Jesus saying, who is good anymore but God alone, then guess what? This parable is, is, is depressing with a gaping hole in it because basically it says, none of you are that good, good soil. None of you are that, have that noble and good heart. None of you are going to try harder this week and find yourself with that good heart next week. Okay? Whoa. <laughs> um, and then here's the gaping hole. So that's the depressing part. The gaping hole is that he doesn't tell us how to get there. We're all sitting there going, okay, instructive parable. I feel very depressed and I don't know how to move forward in life. Will you please tell me? And he just says, parable over. <laughs> Why don't you have good soil? I mean, are we left just to say, you are what you are? You're either the rocks, you're the path, you're the, you know, with the thorns, or you're the good soil. Sorry. It's one of those parables, actually. And many of the teachings of Jesus are this way. The only option is to follow the cognitive dissonance of that by following where Jesus' own life goes and following him all the way to the end of his life where we hear about thorns again and what happens now. Now, the thorns and the thorniness of our defective hearts are part of what is pressed down upon Jesus' head as he suffers and dies in our place. As he gets choked by the thorns, so that the choking, so that we can be freed up of the strangulation and the choking in our own lives, of no doing of our own. In fact, this whole, this whole thing ends in a, about being, having good hearts or bad hearts. In Jesus, when you follow the life of Jesus to the end, you see finally what is meant by Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, where what is said is, um, by God is this, about what he's going to do, his act of salvation on behalf of the world. He says, I will, I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. How do you, get, how do you become that good soul? How do you know if you ever get it? You don't on your own. Only... God can do that. Only God can get you there. Only through Jesus, when the thorns are pressed on him, are you relieved of the pressure and the strangling. So here, here's, here's the end point, and here's what is so refreshing about the gospel. 
Because on the one hand, the gospel tells us this leveling truth that a lot of us don't want to hear. Sometimes it's very refreshing to hear. It says you're all more of a mess than you care to admit. No one makes the last. No one's in the good soil, naturally. Okay, but this is what, this is what, what we can know is how does God react to defective-hearted people who come to him with an open heart? How does God react to that? He says, oh, fi- finally, my dear, dear child, finally. I've been waiting for a long time for you to come. Now come to me and put all of your hope not in how hard you're going to work to have the good soil. Give up on measuring yourself and others around you and trying to find where everybody fits. Trust me now. Just just come only to me and trust me with all your heart that when those thorns pressed against my son's forehead, that forever the choking was taken away from you. And forever, if you come, if, if you approach life and you approach me only through that, through that approach, through the Son on the cross, you will be forever freed of the choking. And you will have good soil. And I will plant things in your life and in your heart that will bear fruit in this world in ways you've dreamed, you've wished, you knew you were capable of, and you could never do it without me, without my grace. Let's pray that that would be true in all of our lives. Dear God, we so often would rather have it be that you give us three steps to being better people, um, to feeling better about ourselves, to doing something that we can hang our hat on, and um, instead you level the playing field with your grace. And still, even as we hear it, there are so many questions, so many doubts, and so many things that get in the way. Would you help remove them and help us to hear your word, help our ears to be open, perhaps even by the the really tangible thing that we have a chance to do in a few moments as we look to the end of your life and have a chance to come forward and receive it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.